0: Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. It's baseball season. So let's talk high school baseball with some of the best high school baseball coaches in the state of Wisconsin. It's the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Show on 1057 FM, The Fan. Now, here's high school insider, big time, Mike McGivern.
1: And a good morning to you and welcome in to the Pillow Windows and Doors, Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan, Don Wachilla sitting in this morning as big-time Mike McGivern is out giving a commencement speech. And we pause and we'll we'll go from there. Now, congratulations to Mike. No, no pun intended, no jokes intended on that one. That, that is an unbelievable uh, request made by Martin Luther High School to have big time out there speaking today. So congratulations to Mike and congratulations to all the graduates, whether it's this weekend or next, where you've hit that milestone. So it's a big day here in the upcoming, oh, we'll say six, seven, eight days here with all the various graduations going on in studio today. Chad Montez, the head baseball coach at Waukesha West, as well as Tom O'Connell, the head coach at St. Francis and my old head coach from back in the day, and Coach O'Connell, we're awful young, so we, we we've hit our stride at a very young age, and and we'll leave it at that, right there, guys. Thanks for being in this morning. We got a lot to get to. Obviously, it's that time of the year as we start heading into tournament baseball. In about ten minutes, we're going to uh, deviate just slightly from the high school aspect of it. We're going to talk with Gary Chapman, Gary, who had a uh, article written about him in this week's Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, talking about his man cave, uh, the house that Harvey Keen built, and uh, some interesting stories in and around that. But before we get there, and before we get into the tournament action, as I'm looking out the window here in the studio, and the weather is what it's been, it seems like, for the last two months. Guys, I guess the first thing I want to ask you, and Chad, I'll start with you, this idea of baseball being what it is and unfortunately we have not had the money trickle down like it did for miller park and we don't have places with domes and everything else it had to be just an absolute nightmare going through the schedule this year and not only having to prepare but then realizing that day in and day out it seemed like you guys were having to reschedule and and as we were talking before the show started it's not even a matter of always just finding a field to reschedule a game It's also trying to figure out who's going to ump the games because everyone's schedule now has been thrown upside down when weather cancellations occur.
2: Uh, Yes, Don. um, It was a huge challenge. Uh, We started March 18th as the first day of tryouts and practice. And uh, from March 18th until our season ended at the end of May, um, we actually practiced one time on our actual baseball field. Um, We were able to practice three or four times on our football turf but our actual field um, was so saturated and just so swampy um, that literally we got out there one time. So we spent the majority of our, our season uh, in our field house, which is very nice, uh, but with three teams, um, always even just rescheduling practices from after school to later in the evening was, was a huge challenge.
1: But then you got that, Chad, not only the three teams when we're talking like varsity, JV, freshman, whatever the case may be, But that's just baseball. It's not as if baseball is the only sport that's happening at the high school. So not only are you juggling that, but now you're looking at probably track and field, girls softball, you name it, all the various spring sports that are taking place, and everybody is being really forced to be inside.
2: Yes, correct. Uh, We have an awesome athletic department, but it is a challenge because you're constantly communicating through email with coaches about – Hey, who's practicing from three thirty to to five fifteen? Who's five fifteen to seven fifteen, and so on? And it gets. We had some of the later practices too, where we'd be, you know, eight fifteen to nine forty five on a school night, um, which is a challenge for a kid too, because you know they are a student athlete and they have sure. other obligations.
1: Other obligations, work, everything that goes in and around being a student athlete. Tom, the, the same thing occurs over at St. Francis, but almost on a different level because you don't have the luxury at other high schools around southeastern wisconsin maybe like waukesha west and some others do you don't have that field house aspect so now you've got to figure out how to make the gym work so to speak and then go through all the various things chad was just talking about here a couple of seconds ago
3: we also make uh, good use of the hallways <laughs> for practice <laughs> i hallways remember those and classrooms and Yes, I think what what Chad alluded to when he talked about the umpire situation, I think that was that was maybe the biggest problem all spring. The WIAA has been uh, has been warning about the the dearth of umpires in the state, and we lost umpires from last year from the total number. Uh, our JV team did not play for a month, from the end of April until the end of May, because we had a number of games. Of course, we scheduled for rains, but we couldn't get umpires. For a lot of our ball games and that was that was a real problem plus the fact that like chad alluded to also the practicing uh you've got five six sports practicing in the spring and and you don't have enough room for everybody and we were running in the halls with the track team and the track team was hurtling in the halls and golf team was uh, using our space in the gym sometimes to hit golf balls so
1: it was a real a real situation this year chad when People outside looking in, those are the aspects I think many a times that get overlooked. The responsibilities that a head coach has to undertake is not only developing the skill set for your kids that are on your team and worrying about how they're doing academically and that, but it's all of those outlying things that you have to wrestle with day in and day out that I don't think the average person who is either not in education or in athletics, I you just don't think about because you're so used to, Let's say, going to a brewer game, and the coach walks out. he manages, you know, somebody else is picking up uniforms and putting equipment away and everything else. Those are all things that kind of fall on your shoulders.
2: Yes, um they do. I don't remember one day from when we started in March going to work. Um, I work at a middle school. I'm a dean of students. Um so I've been in education for twenty five years. and uh, every day, there was some challenge on your plate to, to face, um, and you're managing that as you're also doing your day job. You get emails from the athletic department or a call. Um, and we even had bus challenges this year too, where you know the, the lack of, um, of buses um, you know, to be able to take you to, to away games uh, at a certain time had to be, to be changed. Um, and as Tom said with the umpires, um, you know, that's something that we have to, to really look at. Um, and consider going forward as an association and with the WIA to, to see how we can get more umpires into the game um, and, and quality umpires and keeping young umpires around.
1: Yeah, and I, the travel aspect of it, we didn't even bother to touch because I'm sure that could be a two-hour show between all three of us talking about the challenges of just trying to make That's sure right. the bus is there, and then we go back to the whole rescheduling thing, that you had a bus ready to roll, to take you to wherever site a was and now that game has been changed and it's just another layer i think that gets put on on your plates that the, you know people just don't necessarily realize in the course of what a season goes we're going to change gears for a moment because we're going to get back to all of this but we're going to jump to the great midwest bank hotline and i'm going to bring in i'll say my friend Gary Chapman, who uh, this past week, Tom Hardicourt had a great article about his his cave. He hates to, I guess, call it the man cave, but his cave and and the association with Harvey Keene and everything that goes with it. So let's bring Gary in. Gary, how you doing? Hi, Butch. How are you? I'm doing terrific. It was a great article, Gary, that Tom Hardicourt wrote about the history of 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 the man cave in the basement there. How did how did that all come about? How did you and Tom Hardicourt uh, get together a little bit and and have this article take place, which was absolutely outstanding?
4: Well, it was kind of a fluke. I ran into Tom in a grocery store in one and I just started talking to him about you know the that we had bought Harvey King, the house he built for his parents. After won a uh, fifty-three rookie of the year, and uh, he, I got his interest and gave him my number, and he called me and um, said, "Hey, this sounds kind of like a story. I'd like to come and see the cave." So he came down and took a look at it, and he said, "My God, you know, he just couldn't believe that that everything was still intact from when he had built it originally. Um, the murals on the wall." The bar, the floor with the baseball diamond on it. So, um, yeah, it turned out pretty cool.
1: So, how much, how much of it, Gary, did you add to it in relation to all of the original stuff that was in place?
4: Well, the original things that were here were, like I said, the bar and the the mural. Um, There were some bar stools that were here from the previous owner, but oh, and a a picture of Harvey when he, I guess he was with the Tigers. Or, you know, and then uh, there's, a, there's a little painting of them on a the wall um, in a frame. But everything else in there was mine that I had in totes for, I don't know, 25 years or so.
1: Sure. So so tell me the story. Now, there was a little blurb. You are not going to be teaching negotiation anytime soon, apparently, because according to Tom <laughs> Hardicourt's story, you guys walked into the house, you saw the basement, you looked at your wife and said, buy it, I don't care what it costs
4: yeah pretty much i know i'm not a great negotiator (laughs) stuff like that but um it was just kind of a fluke diane had found the house online and it said nothing about being you know uh, anything to do with harvey so we're looking upstairs and uh there was an insert inside the brochure that said you know a, a brewer's themed rec room so i went downstairs and I was just blown away from what what I had seen.
1: Did you, prior to the article or since, have any contact with the Keene family? Uh, just kind of from a, even a reminiscing standpoint.
4: No, I really wanted to try to get a hold of his son, uh, Harvey Keene the third, um, but my my it was kind of limited. I mean, I didn't know the re- I didn't have any resources to reach out, and. Um, When I was talking to Tom Hardecourt, he had said that he had known him that he was going to try to get a hold of him. And he did a a great job with the article, um, kind of connecting the the dots, filling in the pieces um, with the history of the house.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Since the article – how many phone calls have you gotten making requests as far as, are oh, you watching the Brewer game tonight? What you doing, Packer yeah. season? I, I have a <laughs> feeling you're going to be a very popular individual all of a sudden. Yeah, that's when you called me, remember? Yeah, Well, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm just trying no, no, to throw no. the name out a little bit.
4: Hey, you're always welcome in the case. <laughs> um, yeah, my phone blew up quite a bit. Uh, everybody from having uh, many high school reunions to uh, when we having a party and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's been quite entertaining.
1: Hey, we're pushed up against a break. Gary, thank you so much. I know you got a busy Saturday for taking a few minutes. Uh, it was a great article. Good talking to you again, my friend, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.
4: All right, boys. thanks a lot. I appreciate
1: it. All right, that's Gary Chapman. If you haven't seen the article, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel online, it was the May 29th uh, edition as it was posted then written by Tom Hardacourt on the uh, the man cave there for Gary Chapman in Harvey Keane's old house and it it's got some pictures to go along with it that really I think illustrate some of the uh, aspects that Gary was talking about there. Listen, we're going to step aside take a break. When we come back we'll pick life up again here with our two coaches in studio and talk a little bit about some of the uh, hurdles when we're looking at high school athletics and then after that we'll start really getting into tournament play here in the state of Wisconsin and we'll do it all next. This is the Pillow Windows and Doors Wisconsin High School Baseball co- Baseball Coaches Show right here on The Fan Once again, welcome in. It's the pillow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 1057 FM. The fan. Don is sitting in for big time Mike McGivern. Chad Montez, the head baseball coach at Waukesha West. Tom O'Connell at St. Francis, joining me in studio. Guys, before we went to break and before we talked with Gary Chapman, and Gary, if you're listening, thank you so much for joining us once again. But we were, we were just talking about some of the hurdles that the weather presented for you guys going into this season, and now I guess it's another hurdle that you face when you're coaching the game of baseball, and that is just the mental aspect of the game. The game in and of itself has so much downtime built into it between pitches, between innings, whatever the case may be. And now you incorporate, shall we say, and I see it myself you know, in education, a, a generation that you know likes things to happen very quickly you know i call it a microwave society you know it's something takes 30 seconds we're hitting the button at 24 we can't wait the extra 6 seconds how do you guys adapt to that in order to help keeping in this case our young men engaged because just society in and of itself moves at a much quicker pace and the game is is really what it is well first of all to, to address
3: the the uh, the issue boredom is really a factor when you when you are inside all the time and in this spring really brought that to, to light uh, we tried to to try to combat that you know, kids get sick of practicing in, indoors especially in a gym if I had a field house I'd well, like like Chad does I'd feel great you know I could do all kinds of things in that field house <laughs> but I don't have a field house and our two batting cages uh, don't give us enough room to throw our pitching mound up at the same time so uh, we just try to do things in in shorter bursts of time. I think that's that's a key when you're working with kids today. Keep things brief. Work for five minutes and go on to something else. Uh, and don't try to belabor it because they're not going to. There's just that the law of diminishing returns, which is the only thing I remember from my high school, from my college economics class, was that was that was that little key phrase, the law of diminishing returns. And the second apple doesn't taste as good as the first one. and The third one tastes a lot worse. So. If you keep if you keep over and over the same drill over and over, it's going to really bring boredom to the forefront. And uh, I think that's one of the keys: just to keep things keep things moving. Uh, tried a lot of different approaches. You can do the same drill five different ways, whether for the, for the f- same skill. So uh, I don't know what Chad. I don't know what you what you would do with that. But I think uh, you were we were talking during the break about something you mentioned.
2: Yeah, we. Um... We try to get as much competition into practice, even indoors as possible. Um, We're able to get our our mounds in our batting cage where you can actually have a live pitcher with a catcher and a live hitter and actually do different counts. You can have like it's a 2-0 count um, or, hey, it's two strikes. Um, How are you going to attack the pitcher here? So bringing competition to it. um, You're right, Tom. The drill's. You know, I grew up in an age where, hey, dad said, hey, hit off this tee for 30 minutes. Um, You know, now I have found that. Your hands are bleeding. Yeah, that's right. With athletes now, I feel like um, you have to give them a lot of choices and a lot of variety. Um, You might say, hey, here are three tee drills I want you to work on. When you need a change, go ahead and make that change. Um, And they do that as needed. Um, The one thing we did this um, spring indoors, we play a game called Yellow Ball. And our players like it. Basically, it's just like playing wiffle ball inside, but we use like a, a ball that kind of is a sponge ball that moves and stuff. And the kids absolutely love it. We play um, with um, basically like a, a hitting stick, it's not an actual bat, um, no gloves, and it's a diamond inside. Um, and they can compete and they can kind of. You know, challenge each other. They can kind of talk back and forth a little bit and have some have some fun indoors. And I tell you, you get high school boys playing playing a game like that indoors. Uh, their competition, uh, competitive juices come out, and uh, they had a lot of fun. We would do that. Try to do it once a week. It's kind of like a, an exciting way to end practice.
1: Guys, years ago, I was introduced in the lacrosse area watching some of the high school coaches there that would really bring the classroom into play. In the, in the first couple of weeks, not necessarily once the season began, but I, I, to use the word training camp, for lack of a better way of saying it right now, where essentially the, the kids would sit in the classroom for the first, let's say, 20 minutes of practice, and they had a notebook, and the coaches were standing up front going through situations. Here, here's the situation. I got first and second. A guy drives one to right field. And then he'd go, Chad, all right, what's your responsibility as the right fielder? Where are you going with the ball? Uh, Tom, you're at second base. Where do you line up? And it, it was putting the mental aspect of it. How do you guys go about tackling that? I mean, everybody, I'm not saying that's the only way or the correct way. It was just something new to me that I that I experienced while, while in school that the classroom in and of itself was put into play in a classroom and not necessarily on the field.
3: Well, that was something I used to love to do in practice. Uh, situation drills and practice, just having the, the, having kids run the bases. The, well, I as a coach or one of my other coaches hit fungos, and we hit the ball where we wanted it to. We set up the situation we wanted it to, and then we'd stop and freeze play and say, okay, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? Where were you supposed to be? Who was supposed to be covering second base, etc., cetera, et cetera, But without having – one of the worst things about this spring, and I, we haven't talked about the weather too much yet, but one of the worst things about this spring was the fact that I really firmly believe we should practice more than we play. And uh, we did not get that opportunity to practice on a practice field. I I was telling Chad just a minute ago, we only practiced seven times, I think, on our practice field in the whole year. And so we couldn't do those situation-type drills in the gym because you're working on a smaller field and it just isn't the same.
1: Chad, before I let you continue, the one thing he left out was that when you screwed up, he made you run laps. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I only had to go through rehab for two years after you graduated. uh, Thanks, Coach. Appreciate that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, we would – at West this this spring, we would um, have some team meetings before we had actually get in the field house because we'd only have 90 minutes once we got into the field house. So we would do our team meetings. We'd do like our our warm up, our dynamic warm up in the hallway before. So when we'd hit the field house, we'd hit the ground running. But in some of those team meetings, we would talk about bunt coverages, first and thirds, our offense, defenses. But we'd also get into the mental side of the game. Um, and I try to teach kids. You know, we talk about the circle of control um in the circle of concern and control what we can not what we can't and you know the concerns are you know this spring the concerns can be you know the weather um you know it can be balancing school and athletics you know in the course of a game you know you're battling you know the concerns are the maybe the umpires if things aren't going your well or you know the the fans the opposing team the field conditions so we really try to focus in on that circle of control which really comes down to our effort, our attitude, and our work ethic. Guys,
1: how has the game changed from the perspective of, I know, uh, Mr. O'Connell, you were talking there that you you believe in practice more than play. And I think I'm seeing more at the various little leagues around the area that's play more than practice. And I'm wondering if you're finding kids coming to the high school game who are a little bit surprised at how much practice you actually have to go through because – they've become so used to on Wednesday and Saturday, you just put your uniform on, you go play the game, and you go home. I'm wondering if that has become a challenge with the mindset of kids after growing up in that kind of culture, now having to flip it a little bit and spend more time working on fundamentals as opposed to just putting your uniform on and playing a game.
2: Yeah, I see that uh, as a huge concern, especially like you said at the youth level. Most youth teams might have you know 11, 12 kids on their team. And, uh, you know, they have a continuous batting order. Um, So we have kids that come into high school, a freshman, and like, oh, there's, you know, there's just a straight nine. Or maybe you have a DH that they're used to that continuous batting order. And... um, You know, just playing like they might play 60 games when they're in eighth grade and then when they come into the high school level and, you know, the max games we can play is 26. So, you know, getting them to practice um, and wanting to practice um, is a challenge. I mean, I love practice. Um, You know, I love being in that environment and uh, for kids, you know, as it's like that instant gratification world. they they, they want to play. They want to have fun, which we do too. But as Tom Tom said earlier, you know, practice is where we get better, and they have to learn how to practice. And it's really their endurance and capacity because they're not used to practicing for, for sure. long periods of time. Yeah. Tom?
3: The American Sports Medicine Institute um, says that the major cause for injuries among kids is overuse. And I think um, – our kids are playing too many games and uh, with the travel teams and I'm not against travel ball in, per se, but I think they just, they just play They may be playing for one or two different teams. They're playing the tournaments every weekend and they're playing all year long. They never get a chance to rest. And I think that's an important part of practice too, uh, to be able to dress and just uh, go over things as, as Chad said about working on situations and doing PowerPoint presentations and talking about situations with your team. But I think, I think they really have to – practice doesn't have to be throwing all the time, and I think that's where mo, mo, most concern is about arm injuries during during uh, during baseball. Uh, but I think practice should be uh, working on just proper fielding technique and just over – just having hundreds and hundreds of balls rolled at you or hit at you and just feel them. You don't have to throw them. Just, just practice, practice, sure. practice, practice. And the same with hitting off a tee or hitting with soft toss or off a machine. Uh, we don't have to – we don't have to play games to get better. I think we need to practice more.
1: Okay, fair enough. We're going to take a break once again. Doug Kolashinsky, the head coach at Brookfield Academy, will be joining us on the other side as we get into more of the tournament aspect of high school baseball this time of the year. We'll talk to Doug next. This is the Pillow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And Welcome in. It's the Pello Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show. want to thank all of our sponsors, obviously Pello Windows and Doors, your local pick-and-save stores, MilwaukeeShirtGuys.com, Bayview Shade and Blind, and Current Electric. In studio today, Chad Montez, the head coach at Waukesha West, Tom O'Connell, the head coach at St. Francis High School. And with that, we're going to jump right to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline And bring in the head coach at Brookfield Academy, Doug Kolashinsky. Doug, how you doing?
5: Good, how you guys doing today?
1: We're doing great, Doug. Before we get into some of the current stuff, we've been talking a little bit here in studio about some of the issues the weather has provided you guys this year with regards to baseball and rescheduling and everything else. How have you handled it, uh, having to deal with Mother Nature so far this season?
5: Um, You know, kind of what both coaches were saying as far as, uh, you know, battling the weather. I felt at times I had a rake in my hand more than I had a fungal bat. (laughs) And um, at at the academy, we're a little lucky because um, we have quite a bit of space. And we have three three soccer fields that we can get on. And uh, we were able to practice outside a fair amount. I was probably only inside maybe five days a whole year. Uh, but I was outside on those fields, and we set up a makeshift diamond with you know 90 foot bases, and at least we were able to get some distance in and, and get in a get a good perception of you know the baseball field. And you know, it, it, there's days when we were out there, as, as you know the other two guys said that it was 35 degrees and flurrying, and but we were able to get outside uh, a fair amount, and uh, we have a cage outside, uh, so we we're able to hit fairly often. But like Chad was saying, I think we practice on our field less than five times.
1: Coach all year. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh if, if you had to with all of those hurdles that you you encountered just from mother nature, how how would you put your season into perspective? Uh at least we're talking about the regular season at this point.
4: Um,
5: you know, we I was I was happy. I think we got 22 games in for the varsity. So, I was pretty happy about that. Um, we're very young, you know, I, at times I started five or six freshmen. And uh, we kind of just grew as the season went on. Um, we started, you know, kind of slow, and uh, we got a little bit better every day, and a little bit better. And you could see it. And talking with my one of my assistant coaches, Nick Recklitz, who's uh, new with me this year, who brought a lot of uh, experience from playing at Whitewater, and we felt we had we had five or six deep as far as pitchers go. So we thought maybe that, you know, if we kept growing and going in the right direction, maybe by the end of the year we might be able to, you know, surprise somebody. So and it kind of worked out that way so far.
1: And is that really what's happening at this point now? You you guys are, we'll call it crescendoing at the right point where you finish the season essentially 2-2 two and two in your last four games, but now wins over Williams Bay, Kenosha St. Joe's, and obviously a huge win the other day against Lake Country Lutheran, who's been kind of dominant within uh, the state playoff realm over the last few years. You guys are really starting to peak at the right time.
5: Yeah, you know, we, we are. Being young, um, we're, we're figuring it out. It's, it's, for us, it's pitching and defense. Um, and uh, the two games we won here against LCL and, and Joe's, I think we walked, uh, you know, three against Joe's and maybe, you know, two or three against LCL. Our pitchers got to the seventh inning with the pitch count. And uh, we were able to bring a senior in to, uh, to close a game out in both of those uh, situations. Um, and our defense was good. Uh, a couple errors against Joe's, and I think we had one error against the LCL. So for us, it's been pitching and defense. It's kind of cliché, I know that, but that's kind of what's worked for us.
1: We're talking with Doug Koloschinski, the head coach at Brookfield Academy. Coach, so you have this young team um, you still need leadership from within no matter, you know, how well you do as a head coach and with your assistant coaches, it always helped to have uh, the students themselves kind of policing one another, shall we say, who, who's your leaders this year going, going into the season and maybe who grew out into a leadership role as the season progressed.
5: Um, we have three seniors and they all start um, our catcher, Sean Conner, a uh, great kid. He's been with the program for four years. Um, He's he's kind of, you know, your typical catcher, rah-rah guy, Um, plays hard, uh, does a nice job behind the plate, uh, works well with our our pitching coach and uh, keeping the pitchers composed and knows when to go out and visit and some of those things, kind of like having an extra coach on the field. He's done a great job for us. And then two of our other seniors who are also captains, um, Joey Krantz plays right field for us. And Jason Foss plays uh, first base DH and, and third base. And uh, they've all just stepped up. They're all three quality um, young men. That's what they are. And they're all going off to great academic institutions. Um, and they've just been a huge uh, huge plus for us as far as what, how you should conduct yourself, how you should be composed, and, and just how you should be as a, as a person and as an athlete. They've been really great for our program.
1: With a young team, I'm sure there are challenges in trying to incorporate those freshmen into the mix. How did you go about doing that? Because you're going to obviously need them, as you described, to put forth some some major innings for you throughout the season. How quickly and what did you do, essentially, to get those guys ready to go and have the type of success that they did?
5: You know, I, I don't believe in – for me, I, I just don't believe in, in school feeding them. Um, you know I, I coached with Todd Forth for many years and, and I learned a lot from Todd and um, so I, I I scheduled a tough schedule we came, we came out with Reagan and and Pius and and Saint Mary's uh, Menasha and Brook East um, and you know you throw in university school and St Francis and Lake Country Lutheran and Saint Mary's Fondy Springs so I, I didn't uh, I didn't ease up on the schedule I kind of just threw us in the fire and said here let's go play and you know we started out I think you know I want to say like five. Eight or three and nine, um, we we took our lumps, but the encouraging thing for us was that we were we were in most of the games, and we would have you know one bad inning, a ball would get a hit, of course that you know a freshman or or a guy wouldn't make a play, and we'd give up four and we'd end up losing by a run or two, but we we were competitive, and and we fought and we stayed in those games, and I, I think we learned a lot by playing a tougher schedule, and you know and taking our lumps early. I think it's kind of paid off on the back end here as far as Getting in a couple situations against Joes and LCL, and we made some plays, and uh, it worked out for us.
3: Hey, Doug, this is Tom. Hey, Tom. Uh, a lot of your games were close. I noticed so you you, your offense probably was not as good as you wanted it to be. But how did yeah. how did the close games help your team develop and become the championship caliber that it is right now?
5: Well, exactly. You know, as I saying, is, as far as you know, the tougher competition being in close games forces you to make plays, especially defensively. So if it's a 3-2 game, 4-3 to three game, and then all of a sudden here we are against St. Joe's. It's kind of close. They put a couple guys on. Uh, we make a play in the outfield. Our freshman left fielder runs back 40 feet, makes a great catch. Same thing against LCL. Um, our center fielder made an unbelievable catch running from right center to left center, laid out, caught the ball with a couple guys on. I mean, that's that's a game-winning catch probably in the fourth or fifth inning. It was Jonathan Kim. Um, so, you know, those early situations, you know, we battled through them, we learned and, and I think, you know, we, we kind of, we've been able to slow the game down. And, and I think you and Chad know what that means mm-hmm. as far as young players, we've been able to slow the game down now and, and kind of see what's going on because early in the year, you know, it was a little, uh, it was a little fat too fast for us, but I, I think that's helped us.
2: Hey, Doug, this is Chad. Um, hey Chad. what can you tell us about uh, going into the sectional on Tuesday I mean you're exactly right I, I've been preaching for forever uh, it's about pitching in defense and uh, bunting the baseball so how do you feel about going into the sectional on Tuesday um, this coming week
5: you know I, um, I you know here we are we you know we're 14 and 11 and you know my coaches and I you know we're, we're pleasantly surprised um, we're we're really trying to focus on just taking care of our business. You know, again, we worked on defense yesterday. We worked on some bunting. We have good pitching. You know, we have a kid named Logan Landers. He's a sophomore. Um, 6'7", throws uh, PBR, had him at 88 a few weeks ago. He goes between 82 and 85, throws the ball well. Uh, We got a couple other freshmen, uh, Michael Hefkin, who pitched against LCL through six innings as a freshman and uh, competed great against them. Um, so, again, we're working on everything we've worked on all year. We just keep building on it and doing everything the right way. You know, we're taking ground balls. We're making sure we're doing our cuts correct. We're working on game situations. And, uh, you, got, you know, you can scout other teams and all that, but if you don't take care of yourself and, and you know, you do the things right, no matter what they do, you're going to be in trouble. So that's, that's all I look at it.
1: Coach, time for one last question before we get to our next break. And I guess I'm curious – do you approach, even though I think I know the answer, essentially based on what you just said? But is there any differences that you go into getting yourself and your team ready as far as the playoffs go, knowing that all of a sudden you become in this one and done situation?
5: Um, I think you build the whole year. I, I just don't think you can come out. You know, okay, season's over, guys. Here we go. Now we got playoffs. We got to go to another level. I think you got to just keep getting better. And I know I've said this a couple times now. But you just got to keep building throughout the year. Keep building, keep building, keep building, and, and um, because once you get in the playoffs, to me, every game's big, and and you got to treat every single game all year as the same, because if if you're like, well, we got this one, and then this, well, this is a big one, and this one's not, you're gonna lose. So you got to treat every game with equal importance the whole year, so then when you get in the important games, it's just an, it's just kind of another game for you and you're prepared for it.
1: Fair enough. Coach, best wishes to you coming up this Tuesday as okay. you take on Ozaki, and we appreciate your time here on this Saturday.
5: Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. I appreciate it. Good luck, Doug. Good yeah, luck, you Doug. as
1: well. Doug Koloshinski, the head coach at Brookfield Academy, as he's getting his team ready for the sectional final. We're getting set for another break when we come back. We'll talk with Brian Johnson, the head coach at Greendale, and talk about the season Greendale has had and as they make their way through the WIAA playoffs. And we'll get to it all next. It's the Pello Window and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on The Fan. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
4: Let's go get uh-huh. them Hey.
2: Got, mama. Show me what you got, once again,
1: welcome in. The Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show. Don Wachilla sitting in for big time Mike McGivern as big time is giving the commencement address at Martin Luther High School. So good luck to Michael today and good luck to all the graduates once again, whether it's today or throughout the upcoming week on their graduation and their accomplishments. Chad Montez, the head coach at Waukesha West and Tom O'Connell, the head coach at St. Francis in studio. Joining me here this morning, we're going to jump right to the Great Midwest Bank hotline and bring in Brian Johnson, the head coach at Greendale. Coach, how you doing?
6: Doing great. How are you?
1: Thank you so much for taking some time with us here this morning. Um, I, I got to ask you as well, because it, it just seems to be the, uh, the common denominator here and how you handled just the way this spring has gone with the weather and all of the various things that come about in trying to reschedule and then keep your team headed in the right direction, I can only imagine the challenges you face in, in making that all happen.
6: Uh, I'd say it has been a challenge. And, and we've tried to you know, use it in a positive way with our guys of of, of building mental toughness and there was a lot of opportunities to build mental toughness, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, we try to turn it into a positive. And, yes, it's been a challenge. But uh, I thought our guys have handled it pretty well.
1: Coach, if you were going to take uh, this season and just kind of you know, put it into a nutshell, how, how did it go for you? Are you building at the right time? All, all of the factors that come into play.
6: Well, we, we've had a great season. Um, and we feel like we are we are building at the right time. Um, we've been tested not only through the regular season, but we've been tested um, in our two regional games, uh, you know, getting down. We were down one nothing to Whitwell early on Tuesday and 2 nothing to Martin Luther on Wednesday. So it was a good test, uh, good test for us. We responded, and uh, we're really looking forward to the challenge on Tuesday.
1: Coach, a team like Martin Luther, who you've played during the season and had success with during the regular season, what kind of challenges did that pose in trying to get your team ready? Because if you just look at it on paper – you think that, you know, you, you just kind of cruise to a victory, and sometimes the team itself can look back and say, you know, we handed handled these guys pretty good. We maybe don't need our A game showing up today.
6: Well, you're exactly right. It is a challenge uh, with high school kids. But, you know, we we communicated to our team that, you know, we knew we were going to see Brady Hopper, their number one from Martin Luther, who is one of the top four or five pitchers we've seen this year. He did a nice job. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't see that in the non-conference game. And usually in the non-conference games, you don't see your top pitchers. So we knew we were going to see their best team, and uh, they're very tough, very tough.
2: Hey, Brian, this is Chad. Hey, Chad. Hey, um, I was just, uh, you know, looking at your, your sectional before today's show, um, and you have four number one seeds that have all qualified for the sectional at Carthage. Um, on paper, you know, any division uh, in spring baseball here, I think this has to be one of the most challenging sectionals, especially with those four teams, you know, Greendale, Union Grove, Whitefish Bay, and Grafton all advancing to Tuesday's sectional. Um Kind of give us your thoughts on, on that going into Tuesday.
6: Well, I, I think you nailed it, Chad. I mean, these are, they're four, I mean, four tough teams. And I mean, obviously we are, you know, 100% focused on Union Grove and, and they're going to be our toughest challenge we've seen all season. Um, They are just, they're athletic. um, They're just, they're talented in every phase of the game and and they don't beat themselves. Um, So we we've conveyed that to our team and and we've got our hands full. Um, So we're, 100% 100% focused on Union Grove, but we know if we're, if we're fortunate enough to get to the championship game, it's going to be the same test draft. And a Whitefish Bay, I think Whitefish Bay has won, what, 19 or 20 in a row? Uh, so we we got our hands full, and we, we got to have our A game all day on Tuesday for sure.
1: We're talking with Brian Johnson, the head coach at Greendale High School. Tom O'Connell, go ahead, sir.
6: Brian, just looking at your,
3: your schedule and looking at your scores, you've had a lot of offense this year. Who's been the most uh, productive person, people for you?
6: Well, we've you know we've been fortunate enough to get you know especially lately we've been getting contributions from lots of different guys. But I think our our top guy in offense has been Paul Tates. Um, our senior. He's hitting over 500. Um, he's going to play at Indiana University next season, and you know he's really gotten our offense started every day. He's a power guy, speed guy, hits for average. Um, but really, you know, like I said, we've gotten different contributions all through the lineup from you know Sean Sanchez in our three spot. Our uh, our senior, we had our first-team all-conference catcher, Keegan Kapolshus, who's moved up to the fourth spot. He's really swung the bat consistently. So, um, yeah, we've been been fortunate to get different contributions lately.
1: Coach, I want to ask you, looking at uh, your roster, I'm recognizing a few names from other sports that have been played, obviously, through the fall and winter. What's your perspective as far as looking at your athletes, meaning the members of your team, and having them play other competitive sports. I mean, we, we've come into this time and age where specialization seems to be the norm, and yet when I talk to coaches from whether it's the high school or the collegiate level, I'm, I'm noticing more and more coaches really looking at players playing other sports because of the competitive nature and how that then helps them in the sport that they're coaching.
6: I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, for two reasons. We are, as, as for Greendale Baseball, we are 100% supportive and encouraging of our players playing multiple sports. For the reason you just shared, the the competitive aspect, clutch. You know, we have you know Will Brust and Sam Sommerfeld, two sophomores who started on basketball all year, and having Will and Sam in those clutch situations at the end of a basketball game with the game on the line, you can't you can't replicate that. Um, and the second reason is you get one opportunity in your high school athletic career. You get four years, and you don't get them back. Play as many sports as you can, and really, really enjoy that experience.
1: How has that affected though the recruiting process? Because the recruiting process has become more intricate over the last, we'll say, ten years with social media and such. In getting the kids to understand that perspective that you just gave, in saying that you know, if you have talent, people are going to notice, and people will come and see you.
6: And and that's the challenge because they're not always hearing that in their respective sport. Um, so we have to we have to continue to relay what we're hearing from college coaches. Who college coaches want the multiple sport athletes because of like you just mentioned that competitive aspect. The more competitive opportunities you're in, the the better athlete you're going to be.
3: Brian, Tom here. Uh, question about this is this was your first year coming from summer into spring baseball. Uh, did you have any issues with? Uh, players who previously played baseball that decided not to play baseball this year and played ran track instead, or was that not an issue at Greendale?
6: We had, we had one or two guys. We, we did have some issues. We, we, had, uh, we had one player, Logan Lutz, uh, our junior, who played. He actually did track and baseball, which um, i got to compliment him. He, he did a great job, and um, it was a lot on his plate. Uh, so, no, we were, we were very fortunate to have most of our guys uh, stick with us.
1: Brian, we're pushed up against the break. Best of luck to you coming up with that sectional game against Union Grove, and congratulations on what has really been an outstanding season for you guys over at Greendale.
6: Uh, Well, thank you guys very much, Tom and Chad. Thank you guys.
1: Good luck, Brian. All All right, right, Brian. That's Brian Johnson, the head coach at Greendale. As we said on Tuesday, get ready to take on Union Grove in that sectional matchup, and we wish – all of those over at Greendale, the best of luck. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some minor league baseball as the Milwaukee Milkmen are up and running on their season. So we'll talk some Milkmen baseball when we come back on the other side of the break. This is the Pelo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan.
0: Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. It's baseball season. So let's talk high school baseball with some of the best high school baseball coaches in the state of Wisconsin. It's the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Show on 1057 FM, The Fan. Now, here's high school insider, big time, Mike McGivern. Once again, welcome in.
1: Baseball Coaches Show right here on 1057 FM. The fan, as we get ready to talk some milkman baseball here, as we're efforting yet to get uh, some guys on the line to talk with that. But, coaches, I'll bring this up to you. It's kind of an intriguing time here in southeastern Wisconsin, not only with high school baseball. And we're starting to see, you know, the whitewaters of the world have really risen up the Division Three ranks, and now we're seeing minor league baseball with uh, some of the things we see with the Chinooks and now the Milkman. I mean, baseball in this area is really starting to take hold, and the number of options that we have are—it's very impressive. If you're a fan, where you can go and watch baseball these days,
2: yeah, it's awesome. Um, you alluded to uh, Whitewater, the WIAC uh, college baseball is. Uh, in my opinion, the best Division III conference in the country, um, and it's right here in Wisconsin because they're essentially playing, you know, with um, high-level uh, players that would be D1, D2 players at Division III school and the facilities Um, are just amazing Um, and the Chinooks uh, what they do up in Concordia um, is just awesome to just go up and and catch a game and see some really high level competitive baseball
1: all right I want to get to this since since we're still efforting here to talk a little milkman baseball and we'll get to it momentarily Chad Montez the head coach at Waukesha West Tom O'Connell the head coach at St. Francis joining me here in studio Tom I'm going to start with you the idea of playing at a division 1 or division 2 school anywhere i'm sure is is got to be in the forefront of, in a lot of kids minds because you can get a scholarship but chad you just alluded to the fact that at the division 3 level especially here in the state and we say it all the time with regards to uh football and basketball and now baseball as well the division 3 competition here in the state of wisconsin is unbelievable and yet i think sometimes the kids run into the battle of, I'd like to go elsewhere because the term scholarship, excuse me, gets associated with my name. Do you run into that with some of your players or even players in the past where you've had to sit down and counsel and say, okay, you might be able to go here in Minnesota, it's Division two, and yes, you're getting a scholarship, but if you're really talking about competition, and a competitive level of play where you might get noticed for whatever that next level would be really whitewater is where you want to go
3: either there or go to a junior college somewhere. And unfortunately Wisconsin doesn't have a really good junior college system for baseball. Uh, definitely whitewater is a place to be whitewater. Oshkosh lacrosse has been good in the past. Stevens point. It's a tough conference as Chad alluded to earlier. Um, uh, but kids want to – they always have that, that Division One carrot hanging over their heads, and they think that's, that's the only way they can get to be successful. And I, there's a lot of other ways about going, going about playing baseball in college and getting, getting ready for a successful career and whatever it is you want to have your career in. Uh, I've had a lot of players go to Division Two schools in Minnesota over the years and in, in uh, junior colleges in Iowa and have become very successful. Yeah, go ahead, Chad.
2: No, and I think uh, the battle that that kids are facing now more than ever is um, the colleges are recruiting more and more earlier and earlier. You know, yeah. kids are getting verbal offers in all sports, and in in baseball, sometimes you have to educate families. That's where I spend a lot of time educating players and families that they don't understand that in Division One baseball, it's eleven point nine scholarships that. Active rosters are 35-man rosters, and only 27 can be on scholarship. So those 11.9 scholarships um, get – you know, pared down, it might be 20%, it might be 30 you know, there aren't many uh, full-ride scholarships from from the north of kids going, you know, places and getting full money. And, and sometimes parents and athletes don't understand that right. um, and really helping them, you know, navigate through that process.
1: Guys, I want to get back to that a little bit later in the show, but right now we're going to jump right to the great Midwest Bank hotline from the Milwaukee Milkman. We're going to bring in Joe Zimmerman. Joe, how you doing this morning?
7: I'm fantastic. How are
1: you? We're doing terrific. Thank you for taking uh some time this morning. The season is up and running for you guys, uh playing some home games right now in Indiana with uh the completion of the stadium over there at the Rock facility. So, let's let's take this as a twofold question to begin with. Season's up and running. How's life going right now and how's the progress of the stadium going at this point?
7: Yeah, I mean life is good, right? We uh, so we're having a ton of fun on the road. Uh, we, we're having some early success. Um, you we're know, gonna sell a team, put together, and the stadium is coming along. Just did a tour yesterday with uh, with one of our partners, and um, it's exciting to see everything that has come together. So this rain's not helping anybody, but uh, you know the, the team that's putting the thing together is doing a, a fantastic job at uh, working around the clock to to put um, everything together for us.
1: All right, so the home opener is scheduled for June 24th. Talk about some of the plans that are in place for that home opener for people that are interested.
7: Yeah, the home opener. Uh, so we're anticipating a sellout crowd. Um, obviously, we're, we're uh, um, pulling up all the stops to make sure that we can uh, put on a great show, um, both from a, from a baseball perspective as well as an entertainment perspective. Uh, very, very affordable for anyone that wants to come out. There's different options. We've got uh, um, all in, all-inclusive food and beverage options um, in, in different aspects of the stadium, um, and then we've got a, a pretty cool fireworks show as well planned for later that evening as well. So, ton of fun. Um, if, if you don't have tickets, um, highly encourage uh, fans to to go and do that.
1: So, Joe, I want to talk about some of these single-game options. We're talking with Joe Zimmerman of the Milwaukee Milkmen. Uh, you've got the hop yard ticket, the combo ticket. You also have an opportunity as far as luxury boxes go with the Boys and Girls Club suites available. And I want you to start, however, with the hop yard ticket because I have a feeling that will be the one that I purchase on my way over to watch the game.
7: And I'll be sitting there with you. All right, uh, fair the enough. The Wayne hop yard, is, yeah, hop yard is, uh, is an area where you buy a ticket, and it's all you can eat and drink um, uh, in that area. And <laughs>
1: well, I'm sorry, so Joe. Coach got... is sitting next to me. Look, You're, you're surprised? All you can yeah. eat and drink? Of course, that's <laughs> where I'm not? going. Why not? Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. Yeah,
7: come on now. Um, so the happy hour is, uh, if you've been to the Rock Sports Complex and have had an opportunity to sit up at the umbrella Bar, it's, it's going to be a very similar atmosphere. Um uh, so there's there's an area to sit and, and hang out um, and watch the game from uh, from left field there, and um, it's just going to be an, an incredible uh, opportunity. And we've got uh, an elevated uh, deck, um, the Zern deck, um, our friends over at Zern Building Products. Um, you know they've uh, they've been generous and and. Um, put their put their uh, name on the deck and, and got us material and are working with us to, to um, create a pretty cool elevated um, deck area that uh, that is also accessible from that spot.
1: Also, if you would, uh, please talk about the fact you've got some other special events coming where you're going to have fireworks and you're going to have music nights essentially themed with those fireworks.
7: Yeah, so the fireworks are going to be in sync with um, different music genres, and um, I believe there's um, nine different nights. Um, actually, there might be seven different nights now, but, um, yeah, there's uh, it, it's, a, it's a really cool opportunity, and that's why so we've got nine packs um, so folks can go in and, and choose the, the games that they want to participate in, whether it's the fireworks or the bobblehead giveaway or some other promotion. You can sort of hand-select. The games that uh, that you're interested in but, uh, to put together the package that works best for for your team or your family,
1: Joe. I think one of the nice things about the league the Milkmen are participating in is that you're going to be playing teams w- with a regional feel to it. When we're looking at St. Paul or Winnipeg or whatever the case may be, there's a there's a regionality to it. Has the interest been what you had hoped going into the start of this season?
7: Yeah, and and maybe even more in certain um, circumstances. That you know, the the excitement around the team, both from a fan perspective, and and even our partners and the local businesses that are that are getting involved and in participating, whether it's you know, bringing out and, and bringing a, an employee gathering or, you know, a group bringing to, uh, a handful of um, people together, whether they're customers or, or employees or or even the, just the general fans and um, my neighbors and friends, you know, buying season tickets and buying nine packs. The excitement is definitely there. Um, the team is, is putting on a fantastic show. And, you know, we're even starting to build some rivalries now. You know, St. Paul. Um, obviously is an obvious one on the St. Paul Saints and then the Chicago Dogs But we all hate Chicago right so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Joe when people out there are looking for more information and tickets and everything else give give them some uh, give them some ideas where they can get their answers
7: the website yeah our website uh, milkman.com uh you can also you know our social media but um, our milk our, our milkman website has all the information um, that anyone could ever want um, and then if, if you're on that website and you don't find you know the answer to your question there's there's contact information on there we can reach out via email or phone call but Milwaukee is is the, is the spot to find all the all the answers to your questions
1: Joe Zimmerman Milwaukee milkman uh, it's been great having you on today look forward to uh, seeing you over at the uh, the Hop Yard, and uh, since, since it's already taken care of, I'll, I'll buy you one, okay? All
7: right, fantastic. June 24th, we'll see you there.
1: All right, thanks. Joe Zimmerman from the Milwaukee Milkman joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. And guys, uh, again, it it's incredible to think how with the inception of Miller Park, really, once Miller Park was built, how we've seen really baseball take off in this area. And baseball's always been prevalent, I think, in southeastern Wisconsin, but now with the Chinooks and the Milwaukee milkmen and obviously the brewers and the growth of high school baseball and the facilities and division three and everything else. It just seems to me like baseball is really starting to come into his own in its own, excuse me, at a time when nationally people are debating the health of baseball. It just seems in our area of the state, it's sound and it's doing really well.
3: I think the fact that this team
1: is going to start playing month is, is
3: a great thing for Southeast Wisconsin. Uh, I know when my, my children went to the University of Minnesota, and every summer I'd go up and visit them when they were up there and loved going to the St. Paul Saints games. And I don't know how, how well uh, informed most Milwaukee residents are about minor league baseball because we really never have had a team here other than the Milwaukee Brewers, and that goes back to the 1940s. Uh, but minor league baseball is fun. Uh, the St. Paul Saints put on a great show. I had a great, a great friend in Chicago, Pete Caliendo, who used to work with the Schomburg Flyers. I used to go down to games down there. There's the, the, uh, the, the events they have between innings are, are just great for fans. Uh, uh, it's just a, it's a fantastic experience and they got the Chinooks up in Mequon. I mean it's a great great time to be living in
2: Southeast Wisconsin, if, especially if you're a baseball fan. And it's really kind of put um, you know Wisconsin on the map a little bit more. Um, it's kind of a hidden gem. Um, you know, a kid that went to our high school um, was drafted the sixth person in the draft last year, Jared Kellenick. Um, got drafted by the Mets, um, then got traded to to the Mariners, and he's doing great things. You know, if you look at high school baseball 10 years ago, you know, there was probably 10 to 15 Division One players or prospects in the state. And now with things like PBR and college coaches recruiting this area, you know, there's like Probably close to a hundred Division One kids, you know, that are getting looks or at least interest from from college coaches. So um, I feel like all of these opportunities that we've talked about um, have really done a nice job of putting Wisconsin on the map.
1: Fair enough, and I want to keep that conversation going as we're pushed up against a break because I, it, it fascinates me as we talk college football and basketball here during season on my show that the social media aspect, how it's come into play, and just social media in general and helping kids get to the next level and how that's evolved and how it can be a plus and a minus. Let's get to that next. Let's get to a break. On the other side of the break, we'll pick that topic up. This is the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And a little bit of chicken fried. Cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of
3: teams that fit just right.
4: And
1: the radio. Oh, oh, oh. Once again, welcome in. It's the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan, Chad Montez, the head coach at Waukesha West. Tom O'Connell, the head coach at St. Francis, joining me in studio today. I'm Don Wachillis filling in for the aforementioned Mike McGivern as he's over at Martin Luther giving the commencement address This morning and early afternoon and guys before we went to break we started to uh, discuss briefly this idea of the impact social media has had in exposing uh, these young men to not only colleges regionally but even nationally as far as the talent pool goes and Chad I know you were talking about it right before break it just seems as if we're talking about almost the, uh, the explosion, really, of baseball in southeastern Wisconsin, but social media has really allowed universities from all over the country, or even professional teams for that matter because of, of how baseball goes about its business, to really expose the talent that exists here and probably has existed for a long time. It's just the, the ability to expose the, the players and their abilities has just really heightened and given them more of an opportunity.
2: Yeah. And you can, as a high school athlete, you can promote yourself so much more now um, than ever before. You can, you can put videos online, you know, there's different things like PBR, but there's other organizations out there too, that um, will work with families to, to get you seen essentially. And um, I think, like I said, before the break um, that that's really evolved high school baseball um, at a much higher level than ever before.
1: Tom, is it, is it a, A plus, not only to have the kids exposed, but can it be a curse where you sometimes maybe trying to put the highlight reel together and make that essentially more important than than some of the fundamental? I hear it from basketball coaches at the collegiate level all the time where, you know, they're getting young men and young women who, who can't shoot a free throw because they've worked on every other between the legs crossover move that they can think of that looks really nice on an eight, nine-second segment when they're putting that tape together, and some of the fundamentals then have gone by the wayside.
3: I serve on the board of directors of the American Baseball Coaches Association, so I know a lot of college baseball coaches throughout the whole country, and I know that a lot of them treat these highlight reels basically as something they're going to put in their circular file. It comes in the mail, and they just toss it. they, they still use the old tried-and-true method of, of, of relying on people they trust, like scouts in an area or uh, uh, you know, maybe gra- former graduates, alumni, baseball players. that live in an area. They say, hey, here's a kid, kid who can play. You should come and look at him. I think uh, there's too much emphasis put on the social media right now, social media aspect of, of, of putting out uh, movies and videos and, and making it look like you're better than you really are. I think uh, I think people should really work on on getting there's a lot of companies out there too. You mentioned the companies that do this. I think Chad did these companies that put together these highlight reels. There's a lot of them out there and you've got to parents have got to really be careful about who they choose to do this with because a lot of companies are in there just basically to make money. And there is money to be made here because kids want to play baseball in college.
1: Well, and that's business in a nutshell, right? I mean, people are starting those businesses to do exactly that. They're out to make whatever dollar they can and not always is the best interest of the player at hand. It's more or less their bottom line, what, what can go into their pocket, so to speak. So with all of that, though, when when a parent calls, Chad, or a student walks in and sits down and says, University X, Pro Team X is, has contacted me. What are some of the first steps you take as their current coach to kind of guide them through the process?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a balance. I mean, it's an exciting time, um, but they also have to keep perspective because with Division One coaches recruiting more than ever, um, players don't always understand like verbal offers, and then when it actually gets to the early signing period, their senior year in November – And then the the actual signing period in February because uh, division one coaches can offer verbal uh, offers to you um, but they might give you a percentage when you're in eighth ninth tenth grade um, and then they see how you kind of play out and by the time you're a senior that could stay the same it could increase it could decrease I mean you could go to like now I'm a preferred walk-on versus 50% so you have to be excited, but you also have to kind of tread lightly a little bit and and do your homework um, and understand the whole process that goes into it. And how tough is it,
1: Tom, to have a young man come to you and and bring up that scenario? Because you know when the coach is recruiting, they're talking about playing time because that's what every, everybody wants to hear. How much time am I actually going to get on the field? And let's face it, the game of baseball, I can put nine people out, And those nine people are going to play. And depending upon that position, you might find yourself two, three, four on the depth chart. And yet a coach isn't going to necessarily always tell you that. They're going to come in and say, we love the way you play. We we feel there's a spot for you. We feel like you're going to grow in our system. And then all of a sudden the athlete goes and realizes, oh, I've got a couple of years of bench time to put in before I'm actually going to get on the field. That's got to be a challenge in and of itself. The coach speak at the next level.
3: I always try to be real realistic and frank with players when we talk about college and, and playing beyond high school. And one of the things that I've done over the years, and I had, didn't do it this year, and I think maybe I did a disservice to my parents because I didn't do it, I always give them, and there's a handout that was put together many years ago by the Pitch and Hit Club out of Chicago, which is a group made up of, of uh, pro scouts in, in the Wisconsin, in Indiana, in, uh, Illinois area. And it basically goes through every position in baseball and it lists the skills that you need to play that position for division 1, division 2, II, division 3, junior college, etc. and it it gives times like the time a catcher should be able to throw from home to home to second. It it lists times that people should be able to run the 60 yard dash in. it has other skills listed. And I I hand this out to parents before a season begins because I want them to know that this is where you know, if you're talking about your kid playing division I baseball he may be maybe not able to even play junior college baseball but this is this gives them a, a, a piece of paper which shows them exactly what skills they need their kids needs to have before they can play at that level uh, the NCAA also has a, a website and on that website you can find out uh, they've got a chart they list there, number of kids playing high school baseball and then the next the next column is the number of kids playing. Division one, Division two, Division three, you know, college baseball. Next, next list is how many, how many, how many playing professional baseball, minor leagues. How many are playing major league baseball, and the numbers go drastically
1: down oh, from yes. level
3: to level. And a lot of parents don't don't really realize that.
1: Chad, how eye opening is it sometimes when some of your players go to visit, get that visit to go. It, it could even be whitewater, and you're kind of in the upper third we'll say of, of your current program and you go and you look and you watch these guys because that's what we're talking right now. I mean, it can be, it can be women as well when we're talking about girls softball, but you, they go and see and they watch the talent level at the next level. When they begin to realize that even the guy who's number four on the depth chart was probably all conference, all area, all whatever, whatever high school they were at. I, I just think sometimes it, our kids don't realize what
2: it means to get to the next level in every situation. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, when when kids do visit, um, you know, like you said, at a Division three school, they don't realize how good. Those Division Three players really are, and they're as good as you, or a lot better. And especially as they get into college, they become men. You know, yeah. an 18-year-old is much different than you know a 21-year-old. Um, in his fourth or fifth year of playing, and uh, I think that that's an eye-opener. And and you know, what I try to to build on, you know, Tom's point there. Um, I also talk to kids about what you need to do academically to play college baseball as well because i think that sometimes gets overlooked we looked at just the skill set of it but you know what do you need when a college coach calls me and says, okay, what's the student athlete like? You know, what are they like academically? What's their ACT? What's their work ethic like? What's their character like? Those are just as important as your actual baseball skills.
1: Guys, we're pushed up against the break, and I think that's a perfect segue. Chad, unintended. Great job. Unintended segue as we as we head to commercial break. But the fact that baseball is unique in relation to when we talk about football and basketball is that in football and basketball – you've got to find your way at the collegiate level before you make that next step to the pros. Where in baseball, essentially, you know, even as a junior, you could find yourself in high school being recruited by a professional team and trying to secure their services, whether they're still in high school or right after high school. I want to talk about that dynamic on the other side of the break. This is the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in. It's the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show. Want to thank our sponsors, as always, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, your local pick-and-save stores, MilwaukeeShirtGuys.com, Bayview Shade and Blind, and Current Electric for their support. Chad Montez, the head coach at Waukesha West. Tom O'Connell, the head coach at St. Francis. Joining me, I'm Don Wachillas here in studio sitting in. For Mike McGivern this weekend and guys before we went to break we were talking about the recruitment aspects of going to college as far as baseball goes but baseball is unique in the fact that right out of high school you can find yourself playing professional baseball depending on your skill set so Chad I'll start with you um it's got to be a unique paradigm to, to look at when you might have a young man who has, I'll just use the Brewers since they're the hometown team, the Brewers looking at you and the University of Minnesota and how you juggle the opportunity to immediately become a professional and understand what that all in, in takes at the rookie, single A, low single A, high single A, and all of that, and the college level and what that can bring to a young man's life and career. I mean, that that's just got to be a unique dynamic.
2: Yeah, I think when a kid is getting recruited, the, the emotions that go through that, because, you know, to be recruited um, is a pretty cool experience, and it's a cool experience for their family, um, but they do really have to navigate, like, what's best for me, you know, um, because if they are going to go the college route, I always try to promote to kids, like, um, this is a great baseball school, but do they have the academics that – um, you want or need if baseball was out of the equation what if you got there you got injured um, is this a school that you can be at academically the other route obviously the professional route you know everyone's dream that plays baseball is to to play at the highest level they can and those emotions and navigating through do you know what like rookie ball is like just what you see on tv is not necessarily what uh what traveling on a bus is for rookie league that you have to actually work your way up and and that's a tall task Tom, how about you?
1: Not sure, not sure, not sure. No, he's not. She's fine. It's yeah. just no, we're, just we're gonna. Come I was back thinking here.
3: about. I was thinking about one. Uh, you know, I haven't only had a couple players. I'm fortunate enough to have a couple of players that could have gone right from high school into pro ball, and uh, in discussions with them, I basically kind of tried to steer them toward college because they had to work on a career afterwards. And luckily, none of those guys ever made the pros. They got as high as AAA. And they do have careers now they can fall back on because they went to school, but there aren't. There's only a couple guys like a Bryce Harper. And when teams are drafting, and you're you're the number 295th player taken in the draft, or the 340, or the what? How many rounds do they go now? I'm not even sure. It's if a you're, lot. You're picking <laughs> yeah. in the 39th round or the 40th round of the draft, and you're not. And that's where a lot of Wisconsin kids do get picked. They get mm-hmm. picked in the, from the 30th or the 40th round. You know. Bryce Harper can't play by himself on a minor league team, so they have to, they have to draft you know 24 other players to play with him, just because he's the one that's going to make the major leagues. And they don't care about, they, I suppose they do care about this other 24 some ways, but you've, they've got to fill a roster, and that's what a lot of Wisconsin kids wind up being if they go right to the pros. And so, I've always felt that it was better for a kid to just go right to college, get a, get another career, something to, something they can use in their life, because baseball is part is is not. Is
1: not the be-all and end-all of everything. It's is a it, great sport, but that's yeah, it. is it hard to <clears throat> to reach the young men that that you guys coach in knowing that some of them have probably been the best, whether it's little league into junior high and now at high school, it's that upper third again. But being in that upper third and and being touted as one of the best on the team no. doesn't necessarily mean it translates to the next level. Um, Bobby Subcheck. Who I played with at Pulaski, probably good example. The best high school baseball player. Not only did I have the pleasure of of being a teammate with, but have seen play. I mean, Bobby was just phenomenal in high school, and yet he'll be the first one to tell you when he made it to the pros, when he was playing single A ball. Some of the stuff, it 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 just didn't it didn't mesh. It, you know, it, it his career stopped there, and now he's one of those examples you were talking about that's doing very well, living in another (laughs) state with a career and everything else. But I remember looking at him and knowing his struggles once he got to single A and thinking, oh, my goodness, this is the best player I have ever seen, and yet he's struggling. There has to be a moment for some of these guys, Chad, where it becomes an eye-opening experience that even though I've been the man, so to speak, for so long – life life exists outside of southeastern Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been blessed. Um, I just finished my 22nd year as the head baseball coach at West, and we've had kids play on all levels of college baseball. Um, I've been blessed to coach five kids that have played Division One baseball, but it's been at UW-Milwaukee, uh, University of Illinois-Chicago, so right here in the Midwest. Um, and the, probably the best overall athlete and the best player i've ever coached was ryan solberg he graduated in 2010 and he went on to play at uw milwaukee his senior year he was the player of the year in the horizon and you know you look at him and he fits the party six five he's got all these tools um and he's just a phenomenal athlete and he couldn't make it to to the highest level of play and um in high school he was a three-sport athlete and uh, just just had all the tools, and it just puts it in perspective how hard it is to get to that level, and and keeping kids understanding that and with that perspective, because I think in in youth and coming into high school, you know that's everyone's dream, and that's okay. But then as as they navigate through high school, they start to kind of realize like there are a lot of really good people out there that are very talented.
1: Yeah, when you when you get an opportunity to really get outside of of your circumstance, so to speak, because you know, Once you increase the numbers, you start to realize that there are other players out there who have equal, if not better, ability. And yeah, you need a little bit of luck once in a while, and you need some circumstances to fall your way, but I, I just always found it amazing that once you expand your horizons a little bit and you get to see that you know okay you think you're top dog here but once you get even within our state you know we were talking before Tom about division 3 and how good the weac is and you start to go to these games and you start to see you make these comparisons when you're watching the guys on the field and you think oh, i can i could slide into that i'll be okay until you actually get out there and practice or or participate with them and you see how good the skill set is even at the division 3 collegiate level
3: so much, so much of making the jump. <clears throat> excuse me. Is is the mental the mental toughness? Uh, I heard last night. I was watching the Brewers and the and or the MLB channel, and they're talking about Nolan Arenado and how much he works on his game, on on before each game. He works. He practices daily. Daily. It's a mentally tough grind. And a lot of the a lot of the players that we have, they don't realize how tough that that's going to be. The mental part of it. And that's what makes that's what makes the difference between a, a star or a player who's gonna make the major leagues and someone who can. And I've had players that have gone on and play college baseball or professional baseball, but the mental grind got to them. And they, they may be able to throw ninety-eight miles an hour, which which one of my players was able to do, but never made it to the major leagues because there were some there were some other obstacles that got in the way that he just couldn't get over.
1: So either fortunately or unfortunately for those listening right now, you got three educators sitting at the table. <laughs> And, Chad, I'll throw this back to you. I think one of the things I find hardest sometimes when when talking with kids is obviously, as you said, everybody has this dream. Regardless of the sport, it could be football, baseball, basketball, whatever. I, I want to get to the next level and, and be the next LeBron James or the next Kobe Bryant, or you can tell I'm dating myself here. <laughs> um, but I think what happens is we don't necessarily always see the work behind it. Um, you know, LeBron had something out of, a few years ago showing what he does during the off season. You know, it's six, seven hours a day in the gym. We see the glitz and glamour. We don't always see what takes place behind the scenes. And that then becomes the difference. So there's what Tom was talking about, which is the mental grind. But there's just also the daily preparation in building yourself and your skill set that sometimes I don't think our kids realize that's what it takes to get to whatever level they're trying to ascend to.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think the biggest change is, you know, when we grew up, we played outside. And, you know, when I tell my high school players that, hey, you, we played outside from like nine in the morning till six at night and you were playing every sport possible, you're playing strikeout, kick the can or whatever, you were just doing stuff. Um in their world today, everything's so organized. Yes. Um, so they don't, like, the work we were putting in, was, we were playing outside because if I would come home, my mom or dad, they were going to make you do chores. So I stayed away and w- was definitely outside playing. Um, now everything's so structured and so Organized, they practice hard when they're at practice, but they don't see. Hey, I need to put in time away from here, hitting, throwing. Um, my nutrition has to be better. Um, you know, I can't can't just eat what I want, um, and I have to train. You know, the speed, agility, strength side of it as well.
1: So, is this dynamic then that we we keep talking about? We, I, um, everything that Chad just explained, Tom. But then also the ability to play a few different sports, the ability to rest. I, I think sometimes the specialization and, and some of the focus, though, has been a detriment because I just wonder if, you know, if we're talking about pitching and we've got a young man who's constantly throwing, constantly, constantly throwing, and then all of a sudden we get dead arm syndrome by the time they're juniors or seniors, would they still then benefit if they were playing football and basketball because you're looking at a whole different muscular and skeletal set that's being utilized, and yet you're still being in shape and still doing some of the things that would prepare you for the season. I, I just wonder where we strike the balance with all of that. You're right. It is a balance. Uh, when, when Chad and
3: I and you were growing up, we played every sport, and uh, threw the ball against the steps, field of the baseball, field rubber balls off the front steps of my house for hours. I'm sure you guys did the same thing. Um, I think too much of what we have today is too structured. I think you you mentioned that a little bit, Chad. And kids just don't play it. It's we don't we don't work sport. We play sports, and we take the fun away from it when there's too much structure sometimes. And I think let kids let kids play all these sports. Let them find out what they like best, and let them you know if they want to specialize when they get to be about 16 years old. Let them do that then. But before that, I think Baseball Canada has the right the right ideas. They 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 encourage everyone from six five six years the t-ball age that we have here to play all kinds of sports and and it's been very successful them there's a lot of Canadians now playing major league baseball
1: yeah it it's it's a it's something that we can debate but I don't think there's necessarily a, a easy answer to it because not only have we become more specialized but You know, just the way the world is, our kids don't always necessarily have the opportunity to just run down the street the way we used to at the playground and spend, as you said, the entire day there. Because if we went home, there were chores that were going to be needed to be done that if as long as I was out of the house, they would get done and I wouldn't have to worry about them. And as parents, I don't think they worried as much because they knew where we were at. They knew the group of friends that we were hanging around with. And the fact that we were just playing ball all day long until it was time to come home and eat. And then you went and played ball again until the sun went down and 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 you went from there. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just going to be an inter- interesting balance as we continue to move forward this. We're pushed up for our last break of the day. Guys, when we come back, I'll pose this question to you. If there's one thing in the game of baseball right now at the high school level you could change, if you had the powers to make some sort of wide-sweeping change what would it be? And I'll get your responses after the break. This is the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Man, it's the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show, sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. We want to thank also our local Pick and Save stores, MilwaukeeShirtGuys.com, dot com, Bayview Shade and Blind, and Current Electric for their support. In studio with me today, Chad Montez, the head baseball coach, coach excuse me, at Waukesha West. Tom O'Connell, the head coach at Saint Francis, and guys. Before we got to break. I posed this question, so I will repose it. And that is this, if there's one thing, Chad, within the realm of high school baseball, if you had that all encompassing power, you could change, what would it be?
2: Uh, yeah, great question. I think, um, we have a motto at, at West and it's called, it's about we, not me. And we live in a me society. You know, everything's a Snapchat, Instagram, uh, a tweet. And, uh, You know, everything's focused on us, and we talk about being a great teammate um, and giving back to others. And all that stuff looks good. We say it looks good on a bumper sticker, but getting kids to buy in and apply that, um, not only in a baseball sense, but then in their, in their daily lives um, because it's a, it's a life skill. Um, so that would be be my thing, would be you know focus on we um, and not me, um, which is really difficult to do in this day and age.
1: One of the things, Chad, that kind of goes with that, I saw a couple of years ago at a practice where uh, a young man went, I don't know, I'll say three for three, I don't remember what the, the stat was, and had a great game, and I think the coach got wind of the fact that he was very happy with himself, even though the team lost, but was very pleased with himself and how he was promoting himself then went ahead and told the team we're going to scrimmage today which got the kids excited instead of really practicing we're going to have a scrimmage and he put him on the mound and it was 9 against 1 and basically the lesson being okay you had a, you had a great game but since you're so good go with it you know and the kids looking like I don't have a catcher I don't have this he's like yeah but you know what you've got talent get out there and you're going to play against the other 9 and, you know, the kids are stealing left and right because he's got no catcher. He's got to run back and get the ball and the whole bit. And they played one inning, and I think lesson learned after that. But it goes to exactly what you're saying is the fact that, especially in team sports, there are, very, there are sports out there where you can be about me, mm-hmm. where it's just you. But when you look at baseball and football and basketball, you, you can be as good as you want to be, but you also need those around you to be as good as you in order for the team then to be successful. And really I think that gets lost in the mix is the fact that when a team is successful and you're talking about wanting to be recruited, well, a successful team will bring those people out to come watch and and see what's taking place. Tom, what, what about you? First of all, I'm going to keep that, that example you just gave. I'm going to remember that because that's what
3: I'm going to do (laughs) the next time. Uh, I'm going to preface this. First of all, I'm involved with another group called international sports group. And we do coaches' educational clinics around the world. And that's what I do from, from basically now until baseball season starts again next year. We just finished doing a, um, our group just finished doing a, a, a number of s- seminars for coaches in Cuba. And uh, one of the things that we learned from these seminars is that the, the Cubans, and Cuba is one of the best baseball countries in the world. I think no one would doubt that. The Cubans, they, their federation has a, a principle of practicing more than playing, and that's why I mentioned that earlier today. And what I would like to see happen, if we're talking about change here, I'd like to kind of model the Cuban Federation. The WIA allows us to begin practice uh, some arbitrary, Well, it's a, it's. I think it's going to be the twenty-second it's, it's or 20, March
2: twenty-third 23rd next twenty-third 23rd next yep. year. It's
3: really late, but people will want it. will want to start. Coaches are going to want to start playing games right away in April, which means that for all intent and purposes, they're only going to have two weeks of practice before we play a first game, and that's just not enough. And I think if a kid, I think that somewhere along the way, and a lot of states allow this, uh, where kids, if they're not out for another sport, can practice baseball or can practice whatever sport it is while they're not out for another sport under the auspices of the school. And I'd like to see us begin our practice sessions, maybe maybe allow sometime in maybe the 1st of March, allow teams kids that aren't playing basketball to start practicing baseball especially pitchers we, they give us a week which really is not enough time it looks nice on paper but it's really not enough time to get a pitcher's arm ready. otherwise the, the major leaguers would go to spring training for one week and then they'd go start their season and that's basically what they're that's what they're telling us to do. so I think if, if I could change one thing, I allow us to have more practice time before we start our seasons. And I know they're going to say, well, you could start your season at the end of April, but then we just shove 26 games into one month and you can't do that.
1: And and then you mix in all of the other factors like we talked about earlier in the show that are beside practice. I mean, as a head coach, you're, you do and wear so many more hats than just working on either game strategy or the technical aspects of the game. It, it, it just it's the reason why I pose the question because I think there's a lot of things that go around the game of baseball that the average person might not realize that you guys as head coaches have to deal with music in the background. It's time for us to get up out of here. Want to thank Chad Montez, Chad, appreciate it. Great having you in here. Thank you very much. Tom O'Connell. Coach. Hey. Thanks for being here. Good to see you again, sir. Great to see you, Don. Want to thank Doug Kloninski from Brookfield Academy and Brian Johnson from Greendale. Wish them the best of luck as they make their way into the re- their respective sectional finals. Want to thank Joe Zimmerman from the Milwaukee Milkman. Remember, Milwaukee minor league baseball, getting set to be uh, played here in southeastern Wisconsin at the Rock Complex Complex. Go to Milwaukee. Milkmen.com. The final inspection show is coming up next. Mike McGivern, thank you so much for allowing me to sit in here. I'm Don Wachillis. This has been the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin High School Baseball Coaches Show, right here on 1057 FM. The fan. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone
0: 15s? Here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch